0: all right we are starting a new series today so if you're just joining us if this is your first time with us uh, you picked a really good sunday because starting a new series and i i love starting series i don't always love um ending series because sometimes i start a series and i have no idea how i'm going to end it and i have no idea where we're going to go the next Sunday or the next Sunday or the next Sunday. And the analogy that I was thinking of this week is like when a plane takes off, because I just bought some plane tickets from my wife last night, when a plane takes off, it knows where it's going to land, right? Like, a plane, you, like when you purchase tickets for a plane and you get on and you take off, you know where that plane is going to land because they have to file a flight plan with the FAA. And there may be some slight deviations along the way, but they're pretty much going to land where they say they're going to land. It's rare when they land somewhere different. It happens, but it's rare. they are pretty much land where they say they're going to land. And um, if this series was a plane, we'd be in violation of all kinds of uh, FAA regulations right now because I have no idea where I'm going to land this series. I have a general idea in mind, but I'm not following a specific book. I'm not following a specific curriculum. I'm just kind of taking the—I kind of laid out a general plan this week, and I'm like, we'll see. Uh, it will be influenced by feedback and conversations that take place in groups and, and questions that come up and that kind of stuff. Um, but it, it should be an interesting journey. I know that's not necessarily what you want to hear. When you get on the plane, if the, the pilot was like, I don't know where we're going to land, but it's going to be a fun flight, you're not really going to be happy about that. But um, that's what I, I don't know where this series is going to land, but it's going to be a fun series. Uh, the series is called Reconstruction. Building good faith in an age of deconstruction, and I don't know, how many of you even know what deconstruction means? Just when I say that, when you, when you saw me send out the email about that, or you saw the Facebook post, how many of you knew what deconstruction was? Okay, yeah, not a, not a ton of hands go up, and how many of you Googled it, you're like, well, I don't know what in the world you're talking about? Um, d- deconstruction is about deconstructing faith, so it's, it's kind of a fairly new term to describe a, a really old practice. Um, wrestling with your faith, uh, wrestling with doubt, uh, questioning your faith, whether it's, you know, like inconsistencies in the Bible or hypocrisy in the church or, you know, struggling with the church's uh, the way the church handles the culture wars or the way the church engages in the political wars or, you know, whatever it is, there's a ton of reasons that it happens. Everybody, for the most part, has done it. We didn't know to call it deconstruction, but, but most, most Christians have been through a period of time in their life where they kind of wrestled with their faith or wrestled with things uh, that they were taught. It's just that it's become kind of a movement in the last couple of years because of social media and because of hashtags. So if you want to look up hashtag deconstruction or hashtag evangelical. Uh, you'll see kind of some of the stories. And they, they generally follow the same formula. Not all of them, but they generally, you know, it's a, it's a post will come out online of a, of a prominent you know, Christian author or musician or pastor. And they're not, not, not all prominent, but, you know, this post will come out and they'll tell their deconstruction story in the post. And I will give you a couple of examples of what we're talking about uh, just so you know and you get the idea if you're unfamiliar with it. This first one, I'm going to give you two. The uh, first one's Josh Harris. And I, or Joshua Harris. And I don't know how many of you know Joshua Harris. He's the author of a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which uh, kind of made him an evangelical superstar in the 1990s. I was in youth ministry during that time, and, like, everybody was talking about Josh Harris's book uh, because he was saying, he was advocating we, we shouldn't date, we should court. And um, then he grew up and got married, and he pastored a, a megachurch. I don't know the name of it. It was in Maryland. And then in 2015, you started to see this story unfold online. In 2015, he resigned from his church in order to study theology. And then in 2016, he posted something about he and his wife were kind of going to go their separate ways. And then he later reposted that and kind of clarified, we're divorcing. And then later that same year, he posted uh, his deconstruction story. And he made this announcement. I'm going to read you a part of what he put on his uh, Instagram page. He said, The information that I left out of our announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction, the biblical phrase is fallen away. By all measures that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there's a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. Martin Luther said that the entire life of believers should be repentance. And there's beauty in that sentiment, regardless of your views of God. I've lived in repentance for the past several years. Repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add to this list now. To the LGBTQ community, I want to say that I'm sorry for the views I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality, I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. Now, of course, the Internet blew up when this came out. And um, some people applauded him and some people trashed him. But everybody had something to say about it. And if you Google his name now, you'll find tons of articles out there about him and his deconstruction story the second one i want to show you is because uh, these they follow a similar formula but they're different stories the second one is john steingard and uh he was the son of pastor and he was uh, uh, in a contemporary christian band the leader for a contemporary christian band and he wrote this in his post online, which he's, he deleted his Instagram post, so we couldn't find that. But, but he wrote this. He says, after growing up in a Christian home, being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band, and having the word Christian in front of most of the things in my life, I'm now finding that I no longer believe in God. And he gives several reasons why. He said, there's, there's many things about Christian culture that made me uncomfortable. There were things that didn't make sense to me. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? Can he not do anything about it? Does he choose not to? Uh, Is the evil in the world the result of his desire to give us free will? Okay, then, what about famine and disease and floods and all the suffering that isn't caused by humans and our free will? If God is loving, why does he send people to hell? Um, My whole life, people said, well, you have to go back to the Bible and read what the Bible says. I found, however, that consulting and discussing the Bible didn't always answer my questions. It only amplified them. And he goes on a whole list of problems he has with the Bible. Some of them include, like, why does God seem so angry in most of the Old Testament, and then all of a sudden he's a loving father in the New Testament? Why does he say not to kill, but then he instructs Israel to kill in order to take the promised land? Why does Jesus have to die for our sins? That's more killing. Uh, If God can't do anything, uh, or if God can do anything, can't he forgive someone without someone having to die? Uh, once I found out I didn't believe in the Bible, and I didn't believe the Bible was the perfect word of God, it didn't take long to realize that I wasn't sure he was there at all. And again, internet blew up, some people applauded him, some people uh, trashed him, and you can you know, you know, Google his name, you'll read all kinds of stories about what people think about his deconstruction story. Now, as I read those two stories, my guess is there's several reactions going through your head as you hear them one might be shock like one you might know these guys and and you might not even know of their stories and and but you're shocked like it, even if you don't know them it's always shocking to hear someone who has you know professed faith their whole life maybe been a pastor of a church or those guys it's always shocking i mean if i stood up this this morning and said hey the stuff i've been teaching the last 20 years i don't i'm not sure i believe it anymore uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm a Christian anymore. That would be shocking, wouldn't it? I mean, that would so there would there may be, as you're listening to those stories, there's shock. And uh, you may know it's not always prominent Christians that this is going through this. It's, it, most of the stories are just stories of ordinary Christians going through this. And so whenever you see those posts or hear those, you know, it's folks that maybe you grew up, you watched them grow up as a child in this church or another church or whatever. and there, So there's shock. That's one of the reactions. One of the reactions is you agree with what they were saying like there's as i read through that some of you're going that that's a really good question i that i like i agree you know that why is that you know or i you know i i agree with that stance i mean that's i i want to know more about that guy you're wanting to go home and google these guys so you can, can maybe learn a little bit more and there's stuff in both of their statements they read that i agree with yeah I, absolutely i think they made some some great points in both of their statements um the other, and I hope you heard this, is the reasons for deconstructing. The reasons that people deconstruct are many. Nobody's story is really the same, but theirs were very distinct, and this is why I chose them. Uh, Steingard's deconstruction was very theological in nature. Like he was, he was concerned with the thorny theological problems of the faith. Like He was concerned with um, the problem of evil and suffering and... Um, you know, the, the seeming inconsistency between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, and he was even concerned with the atonement of Jesus. You know, that's a central doctrine of the Christian faith, and like, oh, I just don't know. How do you make sense of the atonement and those kind of things? So his kind of was these, there's theological problems he can't really wrap his mind around, and that's what he was concerned with. Uh, Josh Harris's was more concerned with cultural problems, and uh, like the Christian views of sexuality and him becoming uncomfortable with Christian views of sexuality, which is really interesting because he shaped most of those views in the 90s. I mean, he was, and he kind of, you know, apologized for purity culture and those kinds of things. And so he was kind of uncomfortable, like, I don't know that I buy any of this anymore, and if I don't buy this particular view of Christianity, then I must leave Christianity. Um, the last response may be, I can't wait to hear how you're going to answer all this. You know, are you going to answer all this in this sermon? Are you going to talk about all this and, and you know, refute the stuff you disagree with and solve all this for us? And um, the answer to that question is no, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, we got 15 minutes left. I'm not going to do that in the next 15 minutes. I just wanted you to see an example of deconstruction stories because they all kind of follow similar formulas. And there's all sorts of reasons why um, people deconstruct. And that's just, in, that's just some of the examples. We will get into some of this in the series. I don't know how much because I already told you I don't know where this series is going to land. But, but we will get into some of this in the series. And there's a ton of other examples of why people uh, leave the faith. But Jesus actually talked about this in the New Testament. The New Testament mentions deconstruction several times. Not, it doesn't use the hashtag deconstruction, and it doesn't use the hashtag evangelical The New Testament doesn't even use the hashtag evangelical, thankfully. Um, you know, the, the New Testament, Jesus talked about people wrestling with their faith, and Jesus talked about the fact that people would walk away from the faith. And um, there's stories of people, followers of Jesus, close followers of Jesus, who wrestled with their faith, and some walked away from it, and some... We're able to reconstruct a healthier version of the faith. The one I want to show you today is um, in Mark chapter 4. And you know, I'm... Well, yeah, Andy, if you don't mind following along with me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use... Uh, I'm going to read from my Bible here. Okay. Mark chapter 4. Uh, this is the story that Jesus told. He said, uh, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed... Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil, and it came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And you know that story. Anybody who's grown up in church, you know that story. It's one of the most famous parables of Jesus. It's the parable of the sower. And it's one of the few parables that Jesus explained. And the meaning is fairly obvious as you read through it. But he explained it later to his disciples starting in verse 13. Well, yeah. He says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word... Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful." Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now, a couple of observations about this parable. One, I've always heard this parable taught and thought of in the context of evangelism. Like, I'm going to share the gospel with somebody. Some people are going to immediately reject it. Some people are going to, you know, have it for just a little while, like days, months, maybe, and then some people are going to have it for just a little while, days, months, and then the concerns of this world are gonna gonna choke it out i've never really thought of this parable in terms of uh our kids or I've never really thought of this parable in terms of ourselves if 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 you understand what I mean like like a, a, of a short time being fifteen years or twenty years, you know like it, it it's that you know the, the gospel was planted, but there were reasons that, I mean, like if you understand what the parable is saying here, we should be shocked when people keep the faith. I mean, because he talks, there's multiple reasons that people are going to give up the faith. We could be shocked that people keep the faith, and um, he gives several reasons right there, and they all make sense if you think of it in terms of like he's like some people are going to reject the faith because uh, they got say like. They went to the youth rally, and that the speaker was incredibly good. And at the end, he had everybody close their eyes and, like, said something about, you know, do you want more Jesus in your life, or do you want to live a better life? And you were like, yeah, I'm going to live a better life. And he's like, well, keep your eyes closed and hands raised. If you got your hands raised, come down front. And next thing you know, you were down front getting saved. And, like, it was just it was an emotional response to something that you hadn't really thought through all the ramifications of that. And so you didn't keep the faith long because, I mean, it's like... The churches that put out stats of like, you know, are saving 50 people a Sunday. I'm like, well, your church ought to be growing by 50 people a Sunday. And it's usually not. You know, it's, just, it's, it's an emotional response. And, and that's some folks, you know, may fall away after that response. Or there's people who maybe had this, the, the seed planted in them from the time they were a kid. They've been going to kids' ministry from the time they were a kid. And, and they've been learning about this stuff. And they've been going to youth group. And they've been coming to church. And then freshman year... Uh, one biology professor can like deconstruct the whole thing in just a semester, or one theology professor. Mine wasn't a biology professor; mine was a theology professor. Can like the, pull the whole thing apart. The whole thing comes unravel because the roots weren't nearly as deep as we thought they were. Or um, sometimes people accept the faith and then discover how truly countercultural the faith is. And especially in light of social media, it's hard to be a countercultural Christian. It's hard to hold views that swim against the mainstream of culture because you get canceled for that. I mean, people are going to... People are going to stop listening to you or stop inviting you or kick you out of their coffee shop or whatever it is. You see stories of the time. So it's hard to hold a view that is contrary to what the mainstream is holding. And so Jesus, I think Jesus talks about that like the worries of this world. And kind of, it chokes out the faith because you're uncomfortable living in that countercultural reality. And then others, you know, have a faith that, that grows to produce a crop. And the key to it is, at least the way I understand it, there's many reasons that people give up the faith. The key to it is the soil in which that faith is nurtured. And I think that's a big responsibility of the church. That's a big responsibility of the community of faith is we should be nurturing healthy soil for healthy faith to develop. So how do we develop, how do we have a a help cultivate healthy soil? But um, the other thing that I read in this parable is we, this is nothing new. (laughs) I mean, I'm reading a 2,000-year-old story about deconstruction. And my first reaction, to be totally honest, my first reaction to this series was kind of like the cranky old man reaction. Because I didn't want to preach this series. I wasn't, this was not my idea. I just said in staff, you know, hey, winter winter series is coming up. We always do a big series with small groups. And, you know, like, what are we going to do to the big small group, you know, study series and that kind of thing? What should we talk about? And several staff were like, we should talk about deconstruction. And I'm like... (laughs) Why? Why do we got to talk about that? I don't want to talk about that. I, this is a better This is a better look for it. Why? Why do we got to talk about that? I don't want to talk about that. I mean, what, is Gen Z and millennials think they're special because they're deconstructing their faith? I mean, come on, everybody's deconstructed their faith. What are we talking about? We just didn't have hashtags, and we didn't have likes and followers when we did it. You know, I mean, that was my, my first reaction was like the cynical eye roll, <laughs> like, this is, this is crazy. I mean, what, what you, you think you're special just because you've done this? I mean, everybody's done this. Jesus talks about this. You know, Thomas did it. Uh, Peter did it. You know, I mean, like, come on, everybody's done this to an extent. And then I had to kind of push back the cynicism and say, okay, uh, and here's the way you push back cynicism. Be open to learning. So I'm like, okay, maybe I need to be open to learning, and I need to be open to listening. And so I got online and bought several books and started reading books, and I ran across a definition. I want to share the definition because I want, to, I want you to see this. The definition of deconstruction, and this is the way it was described. Deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. I'm going to keep I'm going. To keep going. Um, Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way to atheism. And that's what you were kind of reading in Harris's, you know, like all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction and they end up embracing a different version of the faith than they formerly knew. And I read that and I thought, I've deconstructed. (laughs) Like, I've. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of criticizing, the, you know, the next generation. I'm being the cranky old man going, oh, I can't believe they're doing it. I've deconstructed. You've probably deconstructed. That's probably why you're at this church. Many of you are at this church because you've gone through some process similar to this. It may have been, you know, like systematically doesn't really define my process. Mine was messy and chaotic and crazy. But you've gone through some process like this. I even started thinking, like, the reason this church exists is because of a group of people who were questioning the things that their denomination taught and the things that they had been taught their entire life and were questioning whether or not like my deconstruction was not really a deconstruction from the faith to be totally transparent here mine was a deconstruction from church and some people who are deconstructing the faith aren't really deconstructing the faith they're deconstructing the church like, they're, 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 they're wrestling with things they were taught that are not core to the faith. They're not core to being a follower of Jesus. You could reject some of those things and still be a follower of Jesus. But they, they, we, we confused, you know, like, well, I don't believe this anymore. This, my church and my childhood taught me this, and I don't believe this anymore. Therefore, I don't believe any of it anymore. I think that's a—Christianity is a lot bigger table than that. Like, you know, we don't have to have 100% agreement on everything. To, in order to be uh, have a seat at the table. But that's where I got to think like, this church started because some boomers and some Gen Xers were deconstructing church and going, wait a minute, there's, I, don't, I don't agree with some of this. I don't think some of this is right. I, I, some of this, I reject some of this, and I embrace this. And we're trying to reject kind of the more legalistic uh, aspects of our faith and embrace the good parts of our faith embrace grace and embrace love and embrace and so if you go back like the earliest documents of this church and i know we're only 20 years old but the earliest documents are like we want to be a safe place for people to wrestle with doubt and ask hard questions a safe place we've always talked about that we want to be a place where people who have um, can recover from legalistic faith and can find health hope and healing Uh, we want to be a place uh, where judgment ends We want to be a place that's grace oriented. We want to be a grace oriented, non judgmental, non denominational church. Like, those are the foundational documents of of Murray Hills. And I'm mentioning all that just to say to all of us old people take it easy on the kids, (laughs) because we did it when we were kids. Like, you know, like, have a little bit of grace and compassion when college students or young adults are going through a, a period of time where they're questioning the things that they were taught as a child. Because that's a normal part of growing up. And some may never reconstruct that. But some may reconstruct that into something that's healthier. A healthier version of the faith. And that's where I want us to be a place. Like, I think it's good to ask questions. It's, it's good to wrestle with doubts. It's good to not have every answer to the, you know, the mysteries of God and all these things. Like, It's good to do that. If it can happen within a community of faith, because often what happens is the community of faith, as soon as you start questioning things, the community of faith says, get out. And then you don't have a safe place to process that anymore, so you process it online. (laughs) And you know, online, you get all kind of views and all kind of opinions. Like, there's no safe place. So as soon as you start asking questions, the church says, get out. And I just don't think it should be that way. I, I don't think that's... I don't think that's the way of Jesus. And I, I don't think that's good soil. I don't think that's healthy soil. I think the church ought to be a safe place where we can we can talk through some of these things. So that's kind of where we're going. That's what I want to do. The way we're going to build this series is I want to talk about the reasons people are deconstructing. Um, and we're going to talk about the sins of the church. And we're going to talk about the culture wars. And we're going to talk about uh, political wars. And we're going to talk about the crisis of social isolation, which is brought about by the promise of connectivity, hundred percent of the time, and so we're going to talk about all you know some of these reasons that why people are deconstructing. Some of the things need to be deconstructed, and but then I want to shift and talk about like how do we reconstruct that? How do we how do we how do we reconstruct good faith? There is such a thing as good faith and bad faith. It you know how do we reconstruct good faith or how do we reconstruct healthy faith? Uh, how do we represent Jesus well? What is the purpose of faith? Like, what, what should faith be accomplishing in our lives? And and we're going to do this rooted in Scripture because that's, you know, we're going to come back to Scripture and try to, like, how did, how did the early church deal with these things? How did Jesus deal with these things? And um, I think it's going to be an interesting flight. I don't know where we're going to land, but I appreciate you taking off with me this morning. And... Uh, let me say a word of prayer, and uh, we'll be dismissed shortly here. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I'm mindful as I begin this series that uh, there's a lot of different emotions out there. There's, uh, there's folks that maybe are in the process of questioning or wrestling with faith right now. Uh, there's folks who have kids that are doing this or um, you know, family members that they love that are doing this. And um, sometimes there's a lot of hurt and confusion and uh, I'm just, I'm just, I want us to be mindful of that. Help me to be mindful of that as I teach this. And in our small groups, help us to be mindful of this in our small groups. Because sometimes we'll spout off stuff in small groups thinking that everybody agrees with us. And it turns out that we don't know everything going on in everybody's life. So just help us to have compassion and grace toward each other as we uh, talk about these things and and wrestle with these things and i'm thankful god that you give us a church that that allows us to do this i'm I'm thankful to be at a church that that is my opinion is a safe place and so uh i hope that pray you continue to help us be that safe place for people Uh, it's in the name of your son jesus we pray these things amen if you are encouraged by today's talk feel free to share it with your friends Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.